It's not enough to just say you're one person or that you are a certain type of way. You have to really be and do the things that make you, you. Good morning, afternoon, evening. Hello, listeners, whatever time of day it is for you. Thanks for being here right now, listening to me. I've got some good stuff planned for today. Last week's episode was about 15 minutes, which means I've got some time to make up for, right? This episode is going to be a little bit longer than last week because this blog is more than 10 sentences. (laughs) Last week's blog was literally like 11 lines or something, maybe. So yes, this blog is a little bit lengthier, but it is about 13 single words that changed the trajectory of not just my life, but my business. And if you don't know what I do or what my business is, don't worry. We're going to talk about all of that today. But you can also go to my website at www.emilyjordan.me and poke around there. It's going to give you all the information and give you a chance to subscribe to my blogs, peek at some of the art I do, and just read about everything I have going on. But Today, we've got a blog to read, and this blog is called The 13 Words That Carry My Life and Business. So let's get started. Probably about a year ago now, I regret that this particular piece of art was undated, I watercolored a blank page in one of my art notepads, got out my stamps, and stamped 13 words in black ink onto the paper. It was not even a proper sentence. It didn't need to be, though. It was a mantra for me, and it became a mantra for my business. Not intentionally, of course. No one ever sets out to write those types of things. And if you have, I'm sure you've failed miserably. Setting out to write something profound and important, durable and solid, It's like trying to connect the dots looking forward. The dots only ever connect in hindsight, though. You don't sit down with stamps and some watercolors and decide to change your life. It's just not the way it happens. The way it happens is you just write. You just try. You just paint and you just live. And then somehow it happens that your life is changing. It's not an accident, though. It's definitely on purpose. It's just not as a result of your efforts, but the universe's efforts. Not your plans, but the universe's. That's how these 13 words happened. I did not open a page in my notebook one day and say, I'm going to write something to live by today. No, I had experience after experience of knots in my stomach, breath trying to pass through the smallest gap between either side of my throat, restless nights, but burning eyes begging to shut. I asked question after question and came up empty thousands of times. I lived a life that belonged to someone else while mine sat on a shelf kept tightly until I was brave enough to go and choose it. I felt a disconnect I think we all feel at some point or another, but some of us choose to silence and ignore it. I could no longer do so. It was the weight of that disconnect that prompted these 13 words. But were the 13 words always inside of me? Were they there through my childhood when I played school with my little sisters, dreaming of being a teacher? Were they there during the three years I spent studying education in college, and then the two after I spent pursuing yet another degree in education? Or did they only appear when the disconnect came to life? Why is it that everything always appears to be leading to one place, and then life takes a sudden sharp left at the very last minute? Was it at this sharp left that the words came to me? 
I think that they were always there. I think that I was meant to be so sure for so long, or at least to live in the illusion of being sure, so that the sudden left turn would feel more sudden, more sharp, more left. I think that the jolt shook me and changed me the way that it did, only because those words had been with me my entire life. They were merely waiting for a breaking point to rise to the surface. I can see looking back that my whole life was building up to this disconnect, because it is that disconnect that I both ran furiously away from, but also am forced to remain dangerously familiar with, because it drives me, and it has provided me with the undeniable foundation on which my life, and now my business, rests. Facing that disconnect originally, though, was the first world-stopping moment of my 20s, I remember sitting on the stoop of my front doorstep with Michael, asking through tears in that all-too-familiar, too-small airway, what am I going to do, though? I had asked that question to him, to my friends and family, and to myself what seemed like a hundred thousand times already, mostly to myself. Considering not being a teacher anymore was devastating. How could I have been so wrong? Was that even possible? I know I must have referred back to this experience a dozen times now, but like I said, it was a world-stopping moment. To have spent my whole life wanting to be something, and then finally being it only to wonder whether or not I actually wanted to do it, was like immediately unraveling a spool of thread I'd been winding up my whole life. But when I stamped those 13 words... And when I think about those 13 words now, as I often do, I feel simultaneously at peace and restless. Insatiable. I also feel no need to ask the question, what am I going to do though? It's useless because it's nearly unanswerable. I was asking it with the hopes of receiving a single answer. When I can clearly see now, I will never be one singular thing. After I pouted and sulked and wandered aimlessly for a couple months post-quitting, I stamped the words, that the line between who you are and what you do becomes blurred, and I took the first of many steps forward with those 13 words as my mission. I had lived a life not my own. I had been one person doing another person's living, and it was the most soul-splitting experience I've ever had. I wanted nothing to do with that way of living. I wanted me to be the same thing as my work. I wanted my work to be just another extension of myself. I wanted the two to be seamless. That's still what I want, and so I'm chasing it relentlessly. For me, there will be no line between who I am and what I do, and this is terrifying, but it's also the only means of true, deep fulfillment I've found for myself. I cannot go to one place and be one person, and then come home and be someone else. I cannot pretend to be about something I don't believe in. I cannot preach something without practicing it, and practice something I do not preach. Perhaps there are people who can. There must be. There certainly are. Yes, there are definitely millions of people who are not in their work, whose work is not inside of them. But I cannot be one of those people. Is it a blessing or a curse? 
Should I be happy to live with such a singularly defining vision of happiness and success? Or should I instead try to be someone who can separate myself from what I do every day? It's hard. That I know for sure. It's not immediately financially rewarding. It's not easily understood by most people. But it is my mission nonetheless. That the line between who I am and what I do becomes blurred. That my work is me. That I am my work. That what is asked of me is what I'm ready and willing to give. It doesn't work for everyone. I'm not right and you're not wrong and vice versa. It's exhausting at times to be my job. For when am I ever really off the clock? I would be lying if I said I didn't wish sometimes for a new heart, one that didn't need to be so damn involved in everything. But instead, I have the heart I have. And that heart stamped out those 13 words. That the line between who you are and what you do becomes blurred. And that heart has stayed true to those words, even when my mind has tried to stray. That heart has led me to create mentor groups for teenage girls, to become a personal trainer, to write and share, to speak, to paint, to read, to help. And I would never wish any of that away. So that is my heart, with those 13 words as the goal for now. That the line between who I am and what I do becomes blurred. So I have to admit that part of my inspiration for writing this blog is kind of out of like maybe unnecessary self-defense and a little bit of self-consciousness about what I'm doing because I have this tendency to, without even consciously doing it, to look at my life from the outside and try to imagine how it looks from another person's point of view. And before you call me crazy, I'm sure that you do this too, like you know, before you get together to go to lunch with someone or like grab coffee with someone that you maybe haven't seen in a while, you want to make sure that you have something to say. And that when they ask like what you've been up to, you know how to explain that. You don't want someone to say how things been and you just be totally unprepared. You know, people are going to ask those questions because, you know, it's like social policy and people are curious. And sometimes they even just actually care. Sometimes people are really, truly asking, like, how are you? How have you been? What have you been doing? And those questions give me a lot of anxiety in my head because I know that I've been great. I feel happy and confident, but I don't quite know how to answer the what have you been up to question. And so that makes me anxious and self-conscious and I guess just a little defensive because I know that from the outside, it may look like I'm just doing a hodgepodge of stuff, just a ton of random pursuits ever since I quit teaching. And so I can understand the curiosity or even judgment from the outside. And that's why I wanted to write about that because it is on my mind a lot. And writing is just the way I process so much. And it's the way I work through those anxiety giving things in my life. So yes, this is kind of a selfish post to begin with. But after I stepped away from it and read it, It also made me realize much bigger lessons and a lot of bigger messages that we will get into later on in the episode. Another kind of issue or experience that I also feel self-conscious and a little defensive about is my short-lived teaching career, if we can even call one year a career. There is a part of me that really owns that and not enjoys having that on my resume, but there is a certain sense of like 
hell yeah, I only taught for one year because in a way it really supports the underlying message of my life and my business, which is that there's no time to waste in inauthenticity. Every year is precious. Every minute is precious. And I couldn't spend another minute being a classroom teacher because it just wasn't me. So yeah, after just a single year, I was out of there. It didn't fit me. And a lot of people encouraged me to give it one more year to stick it out even five more years. Because apparently year five is like when you hit your teaching stride. And when I heard that, I couldn't help but wonder if it was that in five years, I was going to hit my stride and start enjoying this. Or if in five years, I was going to think that it was too late to leave and start to rest in just this mediocre part of living. And even thinking about that scared the shit out of me. Also, I kind of found it comical that people said to give it one more year. Like one part of me understood that 100%. And I probably would have said the same thing to someone else if I was outside of the situation. Like, come on, how is your first year of any job a good judgment of your career? But you have to understand how uncomfortable I felt. For me, I equate that experience of teaching for one year with trying on a shoe that doesn't fit. When you try on a shoe and it doesn't fit, you don't need to try it on again. Like after you try it on, you know it doesn't fit. And yeah, you can cram your foot in there and you can probably walk around for an hour or so without too much pain. But why would you want to force something like that to fit when there are plenty of other shoes to try on? And that's how I saw the situation. Why would I keep on wearing a shoe that didn't fit just under the belief that, oh, in five hours, I won't even notice? It wasn't like, oh, in five years, you're going to like your job. It was in five years, it's going to be easier. And I think for a lot of teachers, it really truly does become enjoyable. Like they really truly hit their stride in five years. But for me, I had an undeniable sense that what would happen in five years would be that I would be in too deep to just walk away like I did after one year. I would have built too much of my life around that job and that salary, that routine, and it would have been even more difficult to leave. So I decided to just sit down and look at the facts. And the facts were, I was 22 years old at the time. I was crying on the way to work, sometimes even like during work. I was stressed beyond belief at almost every hour of the day. I was constantly imagining a different life for myself, a different job, a different routine, different feelings. And I had so many other options. There were so many other places I could have gone. And so with that information, it was pretty obvious to me that, yeah, I only needed one year to figure out that this wasn't where I belonged. On the flip side, though, I do feel self-conscious about that choice because I know that from the outside, the people that saw me make that decision and the people that hear about it now might be like, do you really think your first year was a good basis of judgment for like such a big decision like that? And while, yeah, I truly do, I want so badly for other people to understand that. And it took me a really long time to realize, as in I'm still realizing, that it is not within my realm of responsibility or possibility to make other people understand anything. I can explain a lot about my reasoning. I can explain my thoughts. But at the end of the day, most people already have their minds made up. And this is the same across the board. Like you're not going to change someone's opinion on politics or their opinion on a family member they don't like because most of us see what we want to see and believe what we want to believe. We don't usually start with the facts and then form our beliefs, even though we think we do, we kind of form our beliefs because we want to. And then we look for the facts that support that belief. 
And so if someone wants to look at my life and choices and believe that my decisions and career path are irresponsible and rash and silly, then yeah, there's kind of a lot of evidence to support that. But if someone wants to believe like I choose to, that my experiences were brave and they're just a part of life and they're a testament to true authentic living, then there's also evidence to support that. So that's where I'm at with that experience and kind of processing it privately for myself, but also dealing with my imagined like public perception of that experience. And the funny thing is, we really think so many people are looking and paying attention, but really hardly anyone is. Like I know that not all eyes are on me. I felt this exact same thing when I was a freshman in college and I decided to transfer home to LSU. I spent one year at College of Charleston in South Carolina and then I decided to come back home. And all I could think was like, what are people going to say? And I remember talking on the phone to my parents like, but if I come back, what are people going to think? What are they going to say about me? And my dad was like, Emily, we hate to bring it to you, but no one is paying attention. And that was a huge relief, but also like embarrassing because it meant that I thought people were sitting around watching my life. LOL, no one was and no one really is now. But I still feel like they are. And so that is where that self consciousness and self defensiveness comes from. And that's why I feel like I have to explain this. I also feel more self consciousness about the number of times I even bring up this whole teaching experience. Because again, from the outside, I imagine a lot of people being like, okay, yeah, we get it. You didn't like your job. It's not that big a deal. It happens to a lot of people when they start working, blah, blah, blah. But it's more than I just didn't like my job. Like it wasn't, oh, I'm going to this place that makes me unhappy. Actually, in fact, when I was giving a lesson or watching kids on the playground at recess or even being like a panicked pseudo mom on field trips, I was happy. I actually liked that part of teaching. I liked the teaching part. I liked being around the kids, even though they were super annoying sometimes. It wasn't like the actual doing of the job that made me want to quit. It was more the lifestyle. It was the community, the mentality, and the lack of exposure to new ideas and thoughts and conversations. It was literally like I was wearing a shoe that didn't fit. It was just so uncomfortable every day. Like I had all of this stuff inside of my head and my heart, but I never got to put it anywhere. And that was extremely frustrating on a very personal level. Like I said in the blog, I was preaching a lot of stuff that I didn't practice because I felt that I had no place to do it. And you can ask any of my former students how many lectures or quote mom talks, as they called them, that I gave because I was just so itching to address the things that mattered, like kindness and caring and being a good person. Like I tried to find outlets for those things. I tried to come home and write and paint, but the reality was that there was just really no time for that. I had to prepare a math, science, social studies, French, and English lesson for every single day of the week. That really left no time to kind of just play. And having no time to do the things that made me happy and made me myself ended up making me feel like not myself. And so after just a few months of feeling like another person, of being someone that I barely even recognized, I felt literally sick. Like, sick to my stomach. I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like I had nothing to say, like I was in some weird movie or like a play. I really felt like I was living a different life. And that felt so, so strange. So yes, I do refer back to this experience a lot. Not because I'm like, oh, you used to hate my job because it's really not that. It's 
Like I used to be insane. (laughs) I was crazy. I felt like I was living a double life and I hated that. I didn't necessarily hate my job. It was just my job that made me feel so uncomfortable. So unsatisfied and angry and confused and scared. And mostly, like I said, just disconnected. I felt so extremely divided when I did have those vacations or long weekends or just those kind of breaks to be myself again. That disconnect became so, so obvious. And when I quit and had no more responsibilities to make lesson plans or grade papers or type up worksheets, I made so much art. Like it was crazy. And that for me was like the equivalent of vomiting. You know, when you're sick and you just know you're going to feel better if you get it all out, like that is what my art was at the beginning. And that's what everything I'm doing now is. It's everything that was built up inside of me and my head and my heart for that time that I was really not allowed or allotted any time to express that and be that person. But like I also talked about in the blog, I think that that disconnect was really what my whole life was leading to. One thing I struggled with a lot was the thought of, okay, you wanted to be a teacher for so long. Like, how could you have been wrong about that? And I felt really disappointed in myself that I had literally wanted to be a teacher since I can remember. I mean, I loved school. I loved the smell. I loved the hallways, the kids, the whiteboard, the rolling chairs that the teachers got. I wanted to be that person so bad. And so when I finally got to be it, it was really sad and it was really scary and confusing to ask myself, are you sure that this is what you want to do? Like, how could I not be sure? But I think that had I not wanted so badly to be a teacher and then had the experience that I had, had things gone differently, I really don't think that I would be doing any of the things I do now because I needed that experience to be a testament to the things that I'm doing now. Because the point is that, yeah, I do a lot of different kind of seemingly unrelated things, but they are all indeed related. And they're related because of that disconnect that I felt, because of that experience. I believe what I believe, and I have that 13-word mantra that I have because I had the experience that I had. That thought was only pertinent, and it's now so incredibly important to my business because I experienced the opposite of it. I experienced an enormous divide between who I was and what I was doing, and I was just really not okay with that. And that's the message I want to spread with everything I do, that we should be ourselves. We should honor who we are, regardless of what that means or where that calls us. And part of honoring that is doing the things that reflect who we are. It's not enough to just say you're one person or that you are a certain type of way. You have to really be and do the things that make you, you. So that's what all of my pursuits have in common. I am a personal trainer because I believe in the power of fitness to mentally transform us, but also because this is me. This is a way for me to give myself, my true self, back to the world. It's an opportunity for me to teach, to be with people, to share my thoughts, to encourage, to motivate. And those are all qualities that make me, me. I have my small groups for middle school girls because I want to encourage them to be themselves, even though they're going through this phase that pulls you in so many different directions and makes figuring out who you are really, really tough. I have a blog because who I am is also a writer and a teacher and blogging is a way for me to write and teach. I have this podcast because who I am is also a speaker, an influencer, someone who lives to share and connect and converse. So if I can't physically connect with someone, I am going to find outlets to do that otherwise because it's just who I am. 
I cannot deny those things about myself. Everything I do, everything I post, every picture I take, client I train, girl I mentor, everything is tied to the same purpose. So while it may look like, what the hell is this girl doing? And while some people may see me as floundering or just making up things to do, in fact, everything is intentional. Everything is so on purpose and so thought out and so tied back to that original 13 word mantra that the line between who I am and what I do becomes blurred because that's how I need to live. It might not be how you need to live, but that's how my life has to be. And that's one of the bigger messages that I have for you today that I want to finish up with. The first takeaway from this episode is that the way we do things and the way we choose to live and make decisions is not always the same as how other people do those things. And we need to remember that we're all individuals. Even the slightest, tiniest difference in our lives can translate to huge differences in the way we navigate our lives. So it's really not our place to judge or critique the way another person is choosing to figure out their life. Like, aren't we all just here trying to figure it out? Does someone have the answer? Because if you do, speak now. Just like last week's episode talked about, we are all humans. We're all just as confused and scared and hungry for acceptance and approval and success and happiness. So why would we look at someone else's life and condemn their choices or actions when really we're all just doing the best we can with what we know, right? We don't know what everyone wants in their lives. We don't. We all have different ideas of success and happiness and different pictures of what a good future looks like. So we have to remember that before we go and judge someone else's life path with our definitions of success in our heads. Understanding that has helped me immensely because I know that there are people looking in on my life. Granted, probably not as many as it feels like in my head, but there are people like close friends and family maybe looking and thinking, man, I really hope she figures it out soon. I hope she gets a real job. I hope she settles down soon. But I have to remember that those are just those people's opinions based on their definitions of what a successful life and career look like. Because in my head, I am not really aiming to figure it all out. I'm not shooting for comfort and I'm not trying to settle down, you know? So that is something we all need to keep in mind as we look at other people's choices in lives. The other little lesson I want you to walk away from this episode with is that there is absolutely nothing more rewarding and therefore nothing more important than being your true self and giving your most real self to the world in any way you can. There are two quotes I have in my head that kind of sum up these thoughts way better than I ever could. So I'm going to use those to help illustrate what I'm talking about. And the first is, of course, by my girl Elizabeth Gilbert. And she says, this, I believe, is the central question upon which all creative living hinges. Do you have the courage to bring forth the treasures that are hidden within you. Don't let the word creative throw you off because every life is a creative life. It has to be because no two paths are the same. So we are all here creating our lives. And so I think she's exactly right. The question is just a matter of courage. Do you have the courage to bring forth those treasures unique to you? Those treasures that no one else has and no one else can offer. Do you have the courage, the audacity to bring those forth and to give them to the world. Just ponder that question a little bit. Think about it in terms of how you live your life right now. And I hope that you can answer, hell yes, I have the courage. And if you can't, I hope that you find the courage. And I hope that you prioritize this type of living. The second quote is by Buddha. 
or the internet says it's by Buddha. I don't think we ever really know what Buddha actually said, but whatever. It is a quote that I have always heard is by Buddha, and it says, your work is to discover your work, and then with all of your heart, to give yourself to it. So whatever your job is, that is not necessarily your work. Your work is what you're here for. It's what you and only you can give to this world. And I think we all have some unique work that we're here to do. And we absolutely must make it a priority to figure out what that work is. And then as Buddha says, we need to give ourselves to that work with all of our heart. So that's the second real big message here. And I truly hope that you take that with you this week and keep it in your back pocket for some thinking because that is not only what my brand and my business is about, but it's what so many people are after and they just have no idea how to get. We all want happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction from this life. And I think that all of those things are simply found in the sometimes very difficult task of just honoring who you are. All right, I need to go and drink some water and stop talking because I have such a cool voice that it goes hoarse after this much consistent speaking. (laughs) Shout out to Vocal Nodules, y'all. I hope this episode brought you some insight and perspective on who I am and what I'm doing, but I also hope you took away a couple things to sit and think on this week. You can always find out more about me in a much more concise and visually appealing way if you visit my website, www.emilyjordan.me. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review on iTunes, share this with a friend, or just send me a message with some thoughts about the podcast or the blog. It really is so great to hear from people about what you do, especially when your work is so personal. So that would mean a lot to me and it would probably make you feel good about yourself too. So it's kind of a win-win. Thanks for listening. Have a fantastic week and I will catch you guys next Monday.